You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Why don't you go ahead and tell someone the title of my sermon this morning, to revolve around the gospel, to revolve around the gospel. Well, good morning again, church and family and friends. Of course, definitely thankful that we got to dedicate my daughter Olivia this morning to the Lord. It's been a long time coming and thankful that you could join us for this milestone event in her life. God willing, it's not all downhill from here, right? But it's, all, it's always going to get better. And thankfully, we have a church family and relatives and, uh, again, friends, godparents who are willing to keep her on track. You all can help me remind her that she can't have a boyfriend until she's married. Um, So please do stick around after service so that we can uh, fellowship together. We do have some light refreshments. Uh, But before we get to the light refreshments, we are going to get to the heavy meal of the word. So this morning we are continuing our vision casting series that we started last week. Our aim is to refresh in our hearts and in our minds our church plus life's vision to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. That is the heart cry of our ministry, of our church. That's why we believe we've been gathered together, assembled as a local body of believers. And and the way we see that vision come to fruition is through our mission statement, our mission mission statement to reach lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to, to cultivate lives and ministry that revolve around the gospel and of course reflect Christ's love. Reach, revolve, and reflect. Now, in this vision casting series, we are setting some faith goal for ourselves so that we can see the vision and mission of our church come uh, be carried out in not just in our church, but also in our lives. To see our own spiritual growth and our own spiritual maturity come about. Last week, we talked about our church's mission to reach a people and the necessity of discipleship in that goal, in that process. And I hope everyone's already been uh, committing to to that and already been putting things into practice. I know I've had a discussion with a few of you, and yes, discipleship is on people's mouths, on their lips, and so God is working, and God is, and we people are embarking on that journey. So praise God for that. This week we are focusing in on the second part of our church's mission, uh, our mission statement, to cultivate lives and ministry that revolve around the gospel. Our mission statement says. We preach and teach the word of God boldly and have it shape the life and nature of plus life to be a God-honoring, Christ-exalting, spirit-leading, and a people-loving community. Our ministries adhere to a gospel-centered philosophy, and as a local body, we pursue to see all of life through a God-centered and a God-glorifying worldview. Now, I believe this mission of ours is crucial for any believer, whether you are part of Plus Life or part of another church or or not even a believer at all. Having a gospel-centered philosophy, a God-centered, God-glorifying worldview is crucial for any believer who desires to grow in their walk with God. Because if you hadn't noticed, folks, the the world is presenting its own philosophies, its own central focus, its own worldview that, for the most part, is opposite of the gospel, of biblical truth. 
I mean, we don't have to look so far to see evidence of this than in the pandemic itself, right? In the past two years, fear has become a virtue. The government appears to have the final say on how we live our lives. Science and truth has become relative and up for debate. And worst of all, the church has been polarized. Christians are divided about the vaccinations and submitting to government mandates and whether or not we should meet in person even. Believers have become just as fearful as unbelievers to the point where, as we speak, churches in Quebec have closed its doors on worshipers unless they have vaccine passports. Now, I'm sure there are many factors to why this is all happening, but I believe a big part of this is because the gospel has, has been removed from the, cent- from the centrality of churches, from the center of churches. Churches have put man's edicts, man's fears, man's opinions, man's feelings at the center of their worship, and as a result, Churches have adopted a worldview where the gospel and biblical truth is no longer at its center. And that's a dangerous place to be in, church. Because the moment believers step away from the gospel, being at the center, being at the core of our lives and our ministry, we open ourselves up to a world of deception and compromise. When the gospel is not at the center of the church, the government or man's fears and opinions or pseudoscience will take its place. And so this morning, what I want to do is set for us the faith goal of keeping the gospel at the center of our lives, of our ministry, of our families, of our worldview. Because we can't expect to flourish in our walk with God when God is not at the center of our walk. And as a pastor, I do not want to see your walk with the Lord languish or or be tossed to and fro because of the opinions of the world. I want to see all believers, whether a part of our church or not, be grounded in the word and rooted in the gospel. And And if this morning your life is currently not revolving around the gospel of Jesus Christ, my hope is that you would be encouraged today to get back on track that you would put Christ back at the center. Now, I believe that's what our passage is calling us to do. That's what our passage is about this morning, what we just read in Philippians. So let's quickly jump into our text. Somebody say, jump for me. Paul, in our passage, is writing to the church of Philippi Philippi, while he's in prison. And he's giving, giving them very specific instructions of what they are to do while he's away, while he's in prison. He says at the very top of our passage, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Paul is like that parent, right, who's saying, you know, I'm going away, I want you to behave right? Behave. He's calling the church of Philippi to live in a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel. Now, Paul uses a very specific word here in the Greek when he's referring to our manner of life. He uses the word politiome, meaning to conduct oneself as a citizen of a polis. In ancient times, a polis was a free city, a free state of the Roman Empire, meaning it was a city governed by the people and for the people. Though it was still part of the Roman Empire, Rome did not have its hands directly in its affairs. So when Paul says, only let your manner of life, politiome, be worthy of the gospel, 
the church of Philippi knew exactly what he was referring to because Philippi was a polis, a free city of Rome. The church of Philippi understood that Paul was calling them to live with the proper etiquette of a citizen. The question is, a citizen of what? Or rather, a citizen of where? Well, Paul later in the same letter in the book of Philippians says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The expectation for Philippi, and certainly all believers, is that we live a manner of life, we conduct ourselves in a way that reflects a citizen of heaven, not Philippi, not Ontario, not Canada, not of this world, but of heaven. It means that our culture, our mannerisms, our way of speaking, our way of thinking, the way we view things must reflect someone who is not of the kingdom of, those, of this world, but the kingdom of Christ. It's like uh, every culture is different, right? Maybe if you grew up here in Canada, it's flu season right now, right? People are getting sick. So maybe if you grew up here in Canada, a good remedy to that cold or to that sickness is a good hot uh, bowl of chicken noodle soup, right? Everyone loves chicken noodle soup when they're sick. But listen, if you're a Filipino immigrant like me, you know the cure to any flu, any cold, any sickness, body aches, headaches is what? Come on, Filipinos, Filipinos know this. Vicks VapoRub, right? Y'all know this. It's like it cures everything. My wife was sick a couple of months ago. She told me she put Vicks VapoRub on her feet, then covered up with socks, and next thing you know, she's healed. It's a miracle. I don't know. Like, how does that even work? What's, what's the science to this? But that's, that's sort of the, that's the way that Filipinos think, right? That's how, well, not just Filipinos. I'm sure other, you guys are laughing, so I'm sure other cultures too. But that's the kind of manner, that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. This culture, it's a mannerism, a way of thinking. And in the same way, Christians are to live in a way that reflects the culture of the gospel, of the kingdom of God, the people of God. That's what it means to live a life that revolves around the gospel. Now, how does this look like? Well, fortunately, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in our passage. He says in verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Did you catch that? That's the first step. That's the first goal. If we want to live lives that revolve around the gospel, we must stand. And not just stand, but stand together. Stand together. Or someone say, stand together. Let's break this down a little more. Firstly, Paul calls us to stand. He uses the same phrasing later on in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, Thus, in the Lord, my beloved. The word that Paul uses here is steiko in the Greek, meaning to stand firm, persevere. It denotes a, stand, a sense of standing watch. In fact, he's probably pulling from the metaphor of a, of a soldier standing guard, keeping watch over something. I mean, remember, he's in prison. So Paul probably saw the soldier keeping watch over him and thought, that's how believers ought to be. That's how believers should live their lives, unmoving, unwavering, uncompromising, resolute in our stand for the faith. It is for the faith that we're making a stand. It's, Paul even goes on to say in, in that same verse, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We are to stand, watch over the faith, over the gospel. We are the ones called to preserve and protect the truths of God. 
protected from what, you might ask? Well, Paul answers this in, in another prison letter of his. And just If you flip the page backwards, Ephesians chapter 6, he goes on in, in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Stako, there it is again. We are to stand against what? Against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what the church is standing against. Remember that. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against politicians. It's not against uh, sinf uh, sinful culture. It's not against your atheist co-worker. It's against the devil and his schemes, the powers and the authorities Church, we are at war. That's the reality we live in. In the book of Revelations, it says that after Lucifer fell, he, he committed, he, he resolved to make war against the people of God. And when we don't make a stand, when we compromise the truth of God's word, when we put other things at the center of our lives and our ministry, that's who we're giving ground to. The devil, the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this dark world. We allow for lies and deception and evil to take root in our communities, in our families even, and even in us individually. We allow ourselves to compromise once and soon we're, 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 we've stopped coming to church. We get into a habit of, of sin. We become numb to sin, all because we did not make a stand. Listen, the devil wants us to compromise on the gospel. The devil wants us to turn a blind eye to sin in the name of love and inclusivity. The devil wants the churches to, to, uh, to, to stop coming and gathering together for the sake of saving lives. It's the devil who wants us to flee under the pressure and ridicule of this world. Because when believers do not make a stand against the devil to preach the gospel, the world cannot hear that the devil has already been defeated. The devil doesn't want the world to know that. The devil doesn't want the world to know that Christ at his death put to open shame all the powers of darkness. And that he's made a way for the sinners to be liberated. When we don't make a stand for the gospel, we cannot proclaim the true king of this world, King Jesus. So church, we must stand. Not compromise on the truth, not waver in sin, stay rooted in the word. We must stand. And not just stand, but again, stand together. Paul says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. He's talking to a collective. He's talking to a church. It's not just about making a stand by yourself, but standing together in one mind, in one spirit, in one heart, in one passion with other believers. The point is unity in the immaterial. It's our perspectives, in our worldview, in our passion, in our resolve. We are to stand together as believers, as Christians. How do we do that? Well, Paul says in the next chapter of his letter, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Then he says how to accomplish this. Look at this, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, Paul gets to the heart of this. 
right? He gets to the heart of the issue. The reason why there is disunity, why there is conflict in any relationship, especially in the church, is when there are two competing interests involved. And we see this all the time in churches, right? Some people like drums in worship. Some people don't like drums in worship. Some people think that we need to wear suits and ties. We need to meet on Sunday mornings, right? Some people like contemporary music. Some people like only hymns. Some people think Don Moen is everything, right? Conflicts happen when there are two or more competing interests in the church. And as a result, believers fail to stand together. The only way for there to be unity is when one side sacrifices their preference, their opinion, their interest for the sake of unity. And listen, I'm not talking about sacrificing truth. Listen to that. I'm not, I'm not talking about sacrificing truth. I'm talking about sacrificing preferences. If your stance, your view, your interest, your opinion is not rooted in truth, especially biblical truth... But it's rooted in you wanting to be right, wanting your interests carried out. It's, it's rooted in your feelings, your preferences. And let me tell you, that's pride. And pride is what causes division. It happened in heaven with Lucifer and the angels, and it can happen in the church as well. So here's a goal. Here's a goal, church, of, of how we can revolve around the gospel. First, as we mentioned, Stand. Do not compromise on the truth of God's word. Do not compromise on what God has told us very clearly, what is right and wrong. Do not buckle under the pressure of this world. Do not compromise to temptation and sin. Make a stand. And make that stand together. Squash the beef, as the kids say these days, right? Set the pride, the preference, the personal interest aside and stand with your brother. Let go of the bitterness and the desire to be right and, and stand with your sister. And listen, if it's you who needs to sacrifice your interest in order to bring about unity for the body of believers, then God bless you. Because Paul says that that's very much what Christ did who came and, and, and did not count himself equal with God, but, but clothed himself in the form of man. He humbled himself to become obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. If it's, who, if it's you who, who's making that sacrifice, then praise God. You're on your way to be more like Christ. Church, the point is, whatever happens this year, whatever the world throws at us in this new year, whatever schemes the enemy brings but plays out, we must stand together. Listen, we cannot proclaim the gospel of peace when there is no peace in the church. Internal harmony is crucial for external witness. Stand together. Stand together. Paul continues in our passage, he says at the end of verse 27, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Here's a second step if we want to cultivate lives that revolve around the gospel. Listen to this. Strive together. Someone say, strive together. Paul's first metaphor was of a soldier standing watch. Now he's moving to a picture of an army striving together, holding the line, pushing back against a common foe. The word that Paul uses here for strive is sunathaleo, meaning to strive with others or cooperate or corporate vigor, or cooperate vigorously with others. 
Sunathaleo is actually where we get the word athlete from. It denotes a sense of a team, an army working, striving, struggling together towards the same goal. Because here's the reality, right? Real unity in the church cannot be maintained by believers just standing around. The only way to maintain unity, the only way for us to share a common spirit is when we're engaged in a common struggle. Unity is not achieved by static believers, but by believers striving towards a same goal, the same purpose. People are brought together when there is a common cause to fight against. Adversaries become allies when there's a common struggle that unites them. We know this to be true. If you've ever had to do a group project at work or at school, you know this is the case. Even if you don't like the person that you have to work with, you know you'll get the work done because there's a, something at risk. There's a cost to it. There's a goal to be met. And for us, the church, our common struggle, our goal is to protect, preserve, and to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's to see biblical truth maintained in our communities, in our homes, in our families. It's to protect our children from the indoctrination of the world. It's to see sinners freed from bondage. It's to mourn with those who mourn and to fill them with joy. It's to see those who are broken be restored. It's to see those who lack hope receive the living hope, Jesus Christ. It's to see the light of our Savior shine in this dark world. It's to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our, that's our cause. That's what we're struggling. That's what we're fighting for. Again, Paul says, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's our rallying cry. What we ought to be fighting for. We cannot do it alone. We are called to strive together. Now, a good question to ask is, why together? I thought this is my personal relationship with God. Why do I need other believers? Why do I need the church? Well, if you're a believer, you have to understand that God adopted you into a family, not to walk individually. And here's why. Going back to Paul's imagery of soldiers striving together. In ancient warfare, small armies were known to hold off hordes of opponents by utilizing something known as a Phalanx, right? If you've, if you've ever watched one of my favorite movies of all time, 300, right? About the 300 Spartans who fought against the 80,000 soldiers of the Persian army, then you know what I'm talking about. In ancient times, soldiers would create something called a shield wall, and their shield wasn't meant to protect themselves, it would protect the person beside them. And the person beside them's shield would protect the person beside them, and so on, and so on. And because, of, because they guarded each other, they could push back the opposing army. They could stand the, the tide of the battle. That's what a phalanx was. And that's the imagery that Paul was trying to invoke here when he calls us to strive together. We are to strive together for the common goal of the gospel because when we do, we can guard others from stumbling. We can protect our brothers from compromising. We can defend our sisters from the lies of the enemy. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 2, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul is saying, just as much as you are keeping watch over your own walk, over your own faith in the Lord, keep watch of your brothers. 
We are to restore the fallen brother, the stumbling sister. We are to help carry the burdens of our fellow believers. That's what, it's meant, what it means to strive together. So here's the goal for our church this year. Strive together. Wrestle through scripture together. Keep each other accountable. When someone sins, call each other out in a spirit of gentleness and love. Restore the stumbling brother. Remind the deceived sister of the truth. Keep each other accountable. Encourage, edify, exhort, build one another up in love. If you want a life that revolves around the gospel, if you want to maintain a biblical worldview, you cannot do it on your own. You need others to strive with you to guard you with their shield of faith. I sound like a broken record for always saying this in our church, but you cannot do this Christian life alone. A quick way to apostasy and heresy is thinking that you don't need anyone else. You don't need the church in your walk with God. And again, we care for you. We don't want to see you or your family languish or go down those roads. Strive together with other believers. That's how we keep the gospel at the center when we have others helping us in the process. Now, one final step. One final step that Paul gives us in our passage if we want to see our lives revolving around the gospel. We must suffer together. Everyone say, suffer together. That sounded really sad. (laughs) Suffer together, Lord. He says in our passage, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are stumbling, that you are standing firm, rather, in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is so crucial, by the way, this statement right here, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. In a world where fear has become a virtue, where looking, more, where, where looking more righteous depends on how fearful you are and how concerned you are about something, this is important to the church. Paul says to not be frightened by what the opponents of the gospel throws at us. Why? He says in the next part, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Paul is saying the fact that the gospel and those who live by it are being opposed, restricted, limited, persecuted, is a sign of its legitimacy. It's a sign that we're on the side of truth. Peter says it this way, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now understand this isn't a call to boast, right? But rather a call to suffer. Look at what Paul says in the next verse, verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. This is the reality of every believer. That if we want to live lives worthy of the gospel, to have a church that revolves around the gospel, then expect to suffer to be ridiculed, to be called bigots, to be mocked and shunned by society for living and thinking and behaving in a way that reflects a citizen of heaven. Jesus himself said in John, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If we want to live gospel-centered lives, lives that are countercultural, then expect suffering. Expect to be shunned by society. But here's the good news. 
You don't have to suffer alone. See, the enemy wants you to think that you will suffer alone. He wants you to think that you making a stand in the world will just be you and everyone else against everyone else. He wants you to feel overwhelmed by the weight and the pressure of society and, and temptations to sin by making you think that you're all alone. That you have to go at it alone. The reality is you are not alone. You have brothers and sisters who are willing to suffer, to make a stand, to strive with you in this world. Like-minded believers who will strive with you, who will push back with you despite the consequences. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, when when talking about the body of Christ, the, the church, if one member suffers, all suffer together. That's the goal. That is the unity that we are to have, the devotion to one another, the one another that we are to have, that even in suffering we are united. You are not alone. See, here's the goal, church. And this one is a scary one. Suffer together. Face the consequences of our stand for the gospel together. Do not shrink back at the face of persecution, of ridicule. Do not succumb to the pressures of society that wants you to conform, that wants you to think like the world. Make a stand, strive with other believers, and face the consequences together, suffer together. Listen, we live in a world and time where the church and believers must be united all the more. And and must not be divided by petty rivalries or selfish preferences. For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of those who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, we must stand, we must strive, we must suffer together for the sake of the gospel. We must live lives worthy of the gospel. And listen, unless you think it's all doom and gloom here, a plus life, I came here for a baby dedication. What is it's telling me to suffer. What's going on? Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has, whom he's giving to us. Peter says it this way, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So suffering is not the end of the story. Jesus himself, the word of our Savior, says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. If you suffer for Christ, if you suffer for the gospel, you are blessed. Rejoice, for your reward is great. God himself will restore you. God himself will strengthen you. Church, if you want to live a life that revolves around the gospel, we must stand together, not compromising on the truths of God's word. We must set aside personal interests and 
unite together, to stand together. We must also strive together, encourage, build up, exhort, keep each other accountable, bear each other's burdens, and lastly, suffer together. Now, as we close, you know, maybe you're hearing this all and, and you're thinking again, you know, what? People are crazy, right? Why are they so passionate about this gospel? Why are they so passionate about this thing? Well, the reason why we are so willing to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ is because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We are a church who has who have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, individually and corporately. We know that Jesus Christ is the only hope that can actually satisfy a soul, that can bring about joy, that can free sinners from bondage. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we uphold, that is our banner, that is our rallying cry. And listen, if you have not reconciled with yourself, if you have not reconciled yourself to that truth, you have to understand that you will stand before a holy God. And being a sinner who cannot save himself, herself, the only person that can save you is Jesus Christ. The God-man, God in human form who, who came down so that he can pay for our sins, to die for our sins, the death that we deserved. He took on the punishment that we deserved. And for what? The Bible says God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel that we are fighting for. That is the gospel that we are proclaiming in this dark world, that there is a God who came out of love to save a fallen human race. And I pray that if you have not reconciled with that truth, you would do so this morning. The gospel is a truth that we are building our lives around. The gospel is what this church is about. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the reminder of the joy of our salvation, oh God. That God, despite us being sinners, undeserving of love, of any favor from you, of any action from you, God, because of your faithfulness, because of your mercies and your grace, you have saved us. Oh Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for the times that we've wandered, where we've replaced you from the center of our lives, where our lives have not revolved around your gospel, around your truth, around you, Lord Jesus. And I pray, oh God, that this morning that you'd bring fresh conviction to our hearts that you'd highlight in our minds, O oh Lord, where you need to be back at the center. I pray, O oh God, that you would 
shape our hearts, shape our minds that we be more like Christ, that we might be able to stand together, that we might be able to strive together and even suffer together, oh Lord. That God, regardless of what this world might bring, whatever the enemy might throw at us, oh Lord, that we might stay united for the cause of the gospel. I pray, oh Lord, that you would soften our hearts if there's any bitterness, if there's any animosity, any, any walls that we have set up between ourselves and our brothers and our sisters in the faith. I pray that you would bring those walls down this morning. That you would unite us in one spirit, in one mind, in one heart. Oh God, be glorified in your church. Help us, O oh Lord, as we make a stand in this world. Remind us, O oh God, that you are worthy of it all. That you are worthy of us laying our lives down. Us laying our preferences, our ambitions, our pride down. Just, just so that others in this broken world can know of your truth. Can know of the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord, we pray. We give you all the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.